88 down, 277 to go. My name is Chris. This is At A Theater Near Me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Today, I'm going to be talking about the movies Infinite Storm and Master, but I'm going to spend most of the episode talking about Bruce Willis. I uh, recently retired from acting, and I'm going to go through my favorite, my top 10 favorite uh, Bruce Willis movies. But before I go any further, do you have a collection of sports cards sitting in your basement collecting dust? Have you ever wondered what your binders full of baseball cards are worth? Are you a fan of sports cards or heard of the recent boom in the sports card industry? Now is the time to reach out to Alex with Saints 413 and cash in on your collection. Alex specializes in all aspects of the sports card industry, from buying, selling, trading, grading, and even running box breaks. Alex has been in the sports card industry for 15 years, and he has bought and sold hundreds of thousands of dollars in sports cards. Since the start of the pandemic, the industry has taken off, so don't put it off any longer. Reach out to Alex to help you cash in. And if you are already on the sports card trading bandwagon, Alex runs multiple box breaks each week with the latest and best products through his eBay store at Saints413. It's all one word, Saints413. He also has a YouTube channel at Saints413 Breaks. For more information on how you can sell your cards for some side cash or get some help navigating through the sports card industry, reach out to Alex at saints413breaks at gmail.com. That's saints413breaks at gmail.com or go to his eBay store at saints413. He would love to hear from you. I'm going to put all this information in the show notes uh, so you can check it out. If you're looking said, to get some extra cash for those old baseball cards, reach out to Alex. He'd be happy to help. Okay, earlier this week, Bruce Willis retired. Uh, he has aphasia, which is a disorder that uh, affects the ability to comprehend or formulate language. And uh, he's been suffering for this for some time. There were a number of articles that have come out uh, that have detailed some of the some of these direct-to-video movies that he's been working on, where he's been um, forgetting his lines or not being able to comprehend them at all. Uh, some lack of awareness of what he was even doing on set to begin with. He, he seemed to have issues with memory. And there was even a report that he had shot off a blank uh, at the wrong time. He had uh, seemingly forgotten the cue. And the report actually said he'd done it on multiple times. So for the last few years, Bruce Willis's career said he'd been making most of these kind of like direct-to-video movies um, for quick paydays that a lot of these production companies can then um, promote overseas, especially. And they have Bruce Willis's name on it and his face on the on the poster or on the, uh, the DVD box. It gives that movie legitimacy. You know, that's the most, I guess, the most recent thing we think of Bruce Willis is kind of doing these failed movies. But that's such an unfair way to remember him. Looking back on it now, I, I think Bruce Willis's career is severely underrated. Uh, he's worked with some of the greatest directors of all time on some of the movies they will be most remembered for. And it's not just greatest directors as far as art house directors or directors that are award bait. I'm also talking pop culture directors or directors that made movies specifically for the masses. He worked with all types of directors. And while he was an actor that maybe wasn't known for having the most range, he might have had more than we give him credit for. He wasn't doing John McClane from Die Hard in every single movie. Uh, he did some different things. He was never nominated for an Oscar. I don't know if he's the best actor ever, never to be nominated for an Oscar. That's probably Donald Sutherland. Um, I know some people also say Kurt Russell. I put Willis ahead of Russell uh, pretty easily, actually. But the thing that concerns me there is that, and I do it myself, like when you look back at history, say 
when I'm looking back at movies in the 40s or 50s, or I'm looking at actors of that time period. I mean, I'm too young. I, I don't know. I, I'm only looking at them from, from the rearview mirror. I have no idea what life was like in that time or how, how popular these actors were. Um, so I lean on Academy Award nominations to get an idea for how important these actors were. And I wonder if 50 years from now, if people are looking back on Bruce Willis's career, and they're going to be kind of confused, I'm guessing. I mean, when you see movies like Die Hard or Pulp Fiction um, that I imagine will be studied by film classes and by people who love cinema um, for many years, um, and they're going to wonder maybe why this Bruce, like why this Bruce Willis guy keeps popping up in these, in these giant movies, but yet isn't well regarded critically, especially compared to his peers. You know, you think back to Bonfire of the Vanities and, you know, that's him and Tom Hanks. And, you know, look at the different directions the careers went. And it's not even a knock on Bruce Willis. Willis had this really unusual career that is unlike any actor in my lifetime. The peaks were so high and in some cases the valleys were so low, but he kept working and kept doing interesting things. He kept making interesting choices. He was maybe the most fearless actor as far as what roles he take of his generation. Uh, I'm listening to the podcast Haleywood. Uh, it's the one that Dave Cullinan suggested. Uh, and it's about him and Demi Moore buying uh, a town in Idaho named Haley. Uh, and it's really, it's a really good podcast. I'm, I'm only a couple episodes in, but it's, it talks about Bruce Willis's history as well. How he was a bartender, in, you know, in New York for five years before he got his break on Moonlighting. And I don't know if it was the fact that it took him so long to become famous. I mean, he didn't get Moonlighting until he was 30. Um, so if that lend, let him be more risky with the roles that he picked, you look at the stretch of movies he made after, especially after Die Hard 2, and it is bomb after bomb. It's, it's Bonfire of Vanities in 1990. It's Hudson Hawk and Billy Bathgate in 1991. Billy Bathgate, by the way, is an absolutely horrendous movie with a wildly talented cast. It's Dustin Hoffman, Nicole Kidman, Bruce Willis. Movie is total dog shit. And then after Billy Bathgate, he does Death Becomes Her, which is with Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. It's a Robert Zemeckis movie. It's a really bizarre movie. And that movie actually made a little bit of money, but then he follows it up with Striking Distance, where he plays a Coast Guard with Sarah Jessica Parker. Uh, and it's like a really lousy action movie. It's almost like an anti-diehard in a way. It's just so unexciting. <laughs> it's, it's very boring. And then, of course, he goes on and does Pulp Fiction and, and then does Nobody's Fool. But even in that year, he does Color of Night, which was a bomb. So he had an incredibly interesting career and was in some very important movies and a lot of movies that I personally really love. So making this top 10 list was pretty easy to do. I'm like, maybe I'll do a top five. But as I was making, I'm like, well, there's certain movies I just can't leave out. So uh, here are my top 10 Bruce Willis movies. Um, number 10, Alpha Dog. So Alpha Dog is a okay movie. It's kind of a mess. Uh, it is entertaining with some really interesting performances. Justin Timberlake does a good job in it. Uh, Anton Yelchin, uh, it's maybe his best work. Uh, there's a movie that came out a few years before that called Bully, which was directed by Larry Clark. He directed Kids. It's a very dark movie. It's a, basically bullies about um, these kids in Hollywood, Florida, teenagers that kill one of their friends basically just because they're bored. And the lack of remorse they show is it's it's chilling. 
I mean, we might be on Hulu right now if you're interested in Bowie. Bowie's a better movie than Alpha Dog. Alpha Dog is a solid movie, I said, with some interesting performances, and, and Bruce Willis is good in it. It's certainly an easier pill to swallow than Bully is. Of those two movies, Bully, to me, is the superior film, but Alpha Dog is solid. Number nine is Nobody's Fool. This is the movie he made uh, with Paul Newman. He basically plays a straight man here. I mean, Paul Newman's character is a grumpy old guy with loose morals, and um, but kind of a heart of gold, or at least dull gold uh and bruce willis is playing the guy with the stick up his ass and he he does he does that part really well even though you know by that point you now think about 1994 we're not that far removed from some of the diehard movies it came out the same year as pulp fiction obviously and seeing a more buttoned up bruce willis was not something we were used to seeing but he pulled it off and sure enough you know newman got a academy award nomination for that movie uh, a lot of people feel it might be his last great role my eighth favorite movie is 12 monkeys uh this is uh, a movie we did on Quantum Week. Um, it's a movie that, uh, the more I watch it, the less I like it. The first time I saw it, I loved it. I was also, you know, 15 or something. But like most time travel movies, uh, you know, the paradoxes become more apparent the more you watch them. This is a bizarre, weird movie with some really interesting visuals. Once again, one of Willis's co-stars, Brad Pitt, gets an, uh, an Academy Award nomination, while Willis gets nothing, even though Willis is the kind of holds that movie together and it's a it's a wildly bizarre movie um that you really need someone who you believe in to make that movie work uh you know willis is the glue of that movie and it's not an easy movie to, to kind of stick together you know terry gilliam is such a visual director with such big ideas and this movie is entertaining for sure if you haven't seen it definitely check it out but bruce willis does a really good job here and you're kind of blown away with brad pitt's performance you forget how how good it's easy to forget how quietly dependable Bruce Willis could be, and this movie really showcases that well. Uh, my seventh movie on this list, Die Hard with a Vengeance. This is the funnest of the Die Hard movies. I love the original Die Hard. Die Hard 2, by the way, will not be on this list. Um, but Die Hard with a Vengeance is about, as, is about as much fun as you're going to have in any action movie. Uh, him and Samuel L. Jackson work so well together. I thought Die Hard 2 was such a drag and such a disappointment, and this movie just brought a whole new jolt of energy and i don't want to say to that franchise because it never really after this movie it never really kind of came back again so this is almost like really the last gasp of greatness for this franchise it brought back some fun to how we perceive bruce willis um obviously the john mcclain character is one of the greatest action characters ever um you know but he follows us up with the fifth element um which is a a bad movie it's a bizarre movie it's visually stunning um but it's not good uh, we did a quantum week on that recently too and that's just it's not a good film. Um, but, you know, Armageddon is a silly, fun movie. And it kind of, you know, Pulp Fiction, while amazing film, obviously, you know, Bruce Willis isn't having a lot of fun in that role. But where but John McClane in Diary of the Vengeance is, is a more fun role for him. And, and Bruce Willis, I mean, you forget, especially seeing him kind of as an older guy, now, you forget how much fun Bruce Willis could be to watch in the movies. Um, and, and that's never more evident than when he's John McClane. Number six is Moonrise Kingdom. Um, this is a really good movie. It's the only movie I've liked from Wes Anderson in the last 15 years. The French Dispatch was a bad movie. Um, so he, he's not even making good movies anymore. Isle of Dogs was really boring as well. Uh, but Moonrise Kingdom is, is quite good. You know, he's in Quentin Tarantino's most iconic film. He's in M. Night Shyamalan's most iconic film. Maybe his most, two most iconic films. He does a movie, he can do a movie with Wes Anderson. He's in a movie directed by Terry Gilliam. I mean, you look at this list and a Michael Bay, maybe his most iconic film. So that's a pretty wide berth of directors and a pretty wide berth of 
film genres. And Willis was able to work in all of them and, and make all of those movies, help all those movies be really successful, not only in box office, but, but critically with a lot of them, maybe not Armageddon so much, but the other ones. Yeah, so I mean, people knock Bruce Willis for not having a ton of range, but I don't know how many actors could be in movies directed by all those different guys and how those movies all work. Number five is Looper. I think this is by far Ryan Johnson's best movie. Not a fan of Knives Out. Didn't like his Star Wars movie. That brick was a little bit gimmicky. But Looper is quite good. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a little distracting with the young Bruce Willis makeup on. Doesn't quite work for me. I never able to get quite past that. But Emily Blunt, Jeff Daniels, both giving really good performances. And and Bruce Willis is fantastic here. It's a really interesting, bizarre movie. Um, maybe the last true Bruce Willis movie where he's taking a real chance on something that is tough to describe or explain. But when you see the finished product, it's quite good. And Bruce Willis is a huge reason why. Um, if you haven't seen Looper, check it out. It's visually stunning. Has some really cool time travel concepts. It's a very good, I think, underrated movie. Number four is Unbreakable. And, and this is what I mean by range. You know, look at the character that Bruce Willis is playing on Unbreakable. This very soft-spoken guy who doesn't seem to have any concept of what he's capable of because he has such low self-esteem. And then flip that with John McClane in Die Hard or David Addison in Moonlighting. And those are really cocky, quick-witted guys that are looking to hit home runs every time up when they probably should stick to hitting doubles. Um, they're probably overconfident guys, um, but that's how they get out of a lot of jams is that cockiness where in Unbreakable, he has no, he, there's none of that is there. I think a lot of people disregard Bruce Willis as not being a great actor, but if you told me he got nominated for an Academy Award in Unbreakable and he was nominated for an Academy Award in Die Hard, I mean, these things would never happen because the Academy has a bias against comedies and has a bias against action movies. So if you're in those genres, you're fucked. I mean, unless it's just a um, either a weak year in their, by their standards, or uh, you just have some incredibly lucky situation, uh, like Marissa Tomei for my cousin Vinny. Um, but those are those are pretty few and far between. And Bruce Willis, you know, was pigeonholed as this action star because of the success of Die Hard. And yeah, they are action movies, but he gave amazing performances in those movies with incredibly iconic roles. My third favorite Bruce Willis movie, Die Hard. Die Hard is maybe the best action movie ever made, and it's third on my list. Um, this tells you how many great movies Bruce Willis was in. I saw Die Hard in the movie theaters when I was eight years old. I saw it in Times Square in New York. It was like a jolt of adrenaline. I had never seen anything like that before. Wall-to-wall uh, -wall action. He is funny in it, and it's, you know, you're really along with him the entire ride. And a lot of times he's alone, and the movie really lives and dies on his charisma. Now, obviously, you have a great bad guy with Alan Rickman. Um, I mean, even his kind of rogues gallery, his henchmen that he has, all give great performances. It, it's just a fantastic movie. It's probably, once again, I talk about iconic movies. It's John McTiernan, and that's the movie you're going to remember him for. Not that John McTiernan's on the same level as Quentin Tarantino, but for a while, John McTiernan was maybe the greatest action director working. Uh, and Bruce Willis is in his greatest film. You think back to 1988, too, and, like, who were action stars in, in 88? You know, you had Sylvester Stallone, who by that point was a huge jacked guy. Arnold Schwarzenegger, obviously, you know, incredibly jacked guy. And then, you know, Bruce Willis is in there, and he doesn't quite fit that mold. I mean, he seemed like a regular guy. You also believe that he was tough enough 
to be able to do the things that John McClain does. And that's a tough balance. It's easy to believe someone who looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger can kick the shit out of guys. But it's maybe not as easy to believe that Bruce Willis could do that. But when I watch Die Hard, I never once think otherwise. I, I'm, I'm totally bought in. My second favorite Bruce Willis movie, The Sixth Sense. Um, this might be the greatest horror movie ever made. Uh, it's only PG-13. You forget that um, because it has so many effective scares and it feels like such a mature movie. Once again, you know, Haley Joel Osment gets nominated for an Oscar and it's a movie with, with great performances. You know, Tony Collette is fantastic in it as well. But Bruce Willis is, he's the driving force of that movie. I remember uh, after Sixth Sense had a huge opening weekend, uh, which kind of came out of nowhere. People didn't expect that movie to be a big hit. Uh, and Howard Stern had M. Night Shyamalan on like a couple of days after that big weekend. So like with Tuesday or Wednesday. And they were talking about the movie and Howard said how much he loved it and, and how effective it was, but he couldn't get past Bruce Willis's toupee in that movie. That was, that's kind of it with Bruce Willis. Like even when like, especially at that point in his career, you know, once you get into the nineties, after he had that string of bombs I talked about earlier, it's like almost people almost couldn't compliment Bruce Willis without kind of throwing in a dig of sorts, but that is an absolutely terrific film. And, and he's, he's so great in it. My favorite Bruce Willis movie of all time is, is Pulp Fiction, uh, obviously, but I don't know if I'd call Pulp Fiction a true Bruce Willis movie, but I will say that that segment is my favorite one in the movie. And I know that's not popular. I know most people, uh, you know, will speak to either one of the Travolta bookends, but I'll never forget the first time I saw it. And, you know, Bruce Willis has to go back to that kangaroo. And you, you know, you just have a pit in your stomach the entire time you're watching that. And by that point in the movie, you're along for the ride. Like Tarantino has proven that really anything can happen. We've already seen, you know, Uma Thurman recover from an overdose. Uh, we've seen some crazy shit happen already. You know, we've already had Christopher Walken give us that monologue. We know how important this watch is. I said it on Kirk's show, but like when he's walking from the car to his apartment and the only thing, there's no music playing. The only thing you hear is kind of that backyard noise. And you're kind of waiting for, to hear maybe Marcellus Wallace, you might hear his voice, or, or you're waiting to see someone maybe with a gun around him, or you're just waiting for danger. One of the most suspenseful things I've ever seen in a movie, uh, that movie, seeing that movie in the theater, that experience was another one of those, just like Die Hard for me. I was 15 when I saw Pulp Fiction in the theaters. Once again, he gets ignored by the Academy. Travolta gets nominated. Samuel L. Jackson gets nominated. Uma Thurman gets nominated and, and Bruce Willis doesn't. You know, Bruce Willis was famously difficult to deal with, uh, the media especially, but um, he can be a prickly personality. And you wonder if that led to him not getting these nominations. I don't think so. I just think that in the prism of that time, he just was never truly taken seriously. And I don't know if it's because like when we met Bruce Willis, he's on Moonlighting and Die Hard and he's smirking at us the entire time. I don't know what exactly it was. Bruce Willis was almost like, always like a few degrees away from being kind of a joke, but he was also a few degrees away from being the biggest movie star in the world. So it, it was this weird line that, that he was always kind of treading and a couple breaks this way. And he has the biggest bomb of that year. And he's a joke and a couple degrees the other way. And he's in the number one movie that year. And sometimes those two things could happen in the same year, but that was Bruce Willis. And I, I'll tell you, if you told me that you were going to pull the entire film library of an actor, so every movie that actor's in, you're going to vanish from history and I'll, I, or I won't ever be able to see it again. One of the first actors filmographies I would do anything to save would be Bruce Willis's. You know, maybe Tom Hanks or Robert De Niro. Those filmographies might mean more to me than, than Bruce Willis. 
But, you know, look at like, George Cooney. Like, everyone regards George Cooney as this iconic, legendary actor. And, I'm, I'm, you know, I know George Cooney also did some other things. You know, he can direct. And I'll, I'll tell you, man, if you told me I could either have Bruce Willis's filmography survive or George Clooney's, it's such a no-brainer. Like, Bruce Willis has been in so many more important movies to me, so many better movies than George Cooney. Uh, but I don't think history won't look at it that way. And, and that's kind of a shame. Um, I guess the good news is that he's been in movies like Pulp Fiction, like Sixth Sense, like Die Hard. Those movies, I think, will live on forever. Um, to some, you know, as much as a movie can live on forever. But at the end of the day, he's had an absolutely amazing career. Okay, as I mentioned last episode, I'm living in the past a little bit here. So I'm talking about the movies today, Master and Infinite Storm. These are movies that I saw on March 28th and March 29th. So I know that you folks are in, are in April, uh, April 3rd, this, this episode's coming out, but these movies are still in March. So that means it's still technically budget month, big news in the budget month world. So I'm up now to $2,854 that I've spent so far on this project, which would equate to $32.43 a day or... $11,837 for the year. I'm in the $11,000 zone. I'm very excited. And a big reason why is Tom Treshock from CNA Financial Group. Of course, this expense report is back again, sponsored by Tom. I know in the first episode of Budget Month, I mentioned how Tom was going to help me get the budget back on track. And I think we're, we're getting there in the $11,000 range. However, he doesn't just specialize in budgets for 42-year-old guys going to see movies every day. He helps people no matter what stage of life you're in, whether you're starting a new job, planning for family expenses, or even setting someone up financially for retirement. Give him a call today to schedule a meeting to hear how he can help you, whether today or sometime in the future. You won't know how he can help until you can hear what he does. Call him today at 732-403-7747. Again, that's Tom Treshock at 732-403-7747. Schedule your meeting today. All this information will be in the show notes as well. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Security, LLC, PAS. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PS, member FINRA, SIPC. CNA Financial Group is not an affiliate or a subsidiary of PAS. Okay, Infinite Storm. This is the man, or in this case, woman versus nature movie starring Naomi Watts. It's about uh, Naomi Watts plays Pam Bales, who is a search and rescue volunteer that is on Mount Washington in New Hampshire. And she is on a hike. She ends up running into a man who is out there. He's not dressed at all for the weather. And then a giant snowstorm hits them and they have to get off the mountain. This is a pretty good movie. Naomi Watts is fantastic in it. If you're a fan of those, like I said, man versus nature, woman versus nature movies, you know, like James Franco in 128 Hours or Robert Redford in All is Lost. If you like that genre, then check this out. Uh, I do like that genre. Um, I, and I think this is pretty effective. The blizzard scenes are really well shot. The stuff in the mountain is really well shot. I'm going to give this movie a B. The negative elements of this are, there's a couple of them, I guess. One is it wasn't, it's not shot in New Hampshire. It's actually shot in Sylvania. Um, and I live in New Hampshire. I know Mount Washington. I've been up there a couple of times and it doesn't look like that at all. So that's kind of jarring for me, but I imagine for most of America, that's probably not a major issue. I mean, how many movies take place in New Hampshire? So, uh, the few that do, you're, you're paying extra care and notice to what's around you, or at least, you know, I do. This is a movie that was produced, um, by the Polish film Institute, uh, and the directors are Polish as well. My other issue with the movie is the stuff that's not on the mountain. So things like some forced character development, just not 
the greatest storytelling, especially at the end. This movie is 104 minutes, so it's a perfectly fine length. And the stuff on the nature scenes that take place on the mountain all feel don't feel rushed at all. But anything that doesn't take place on the mountain does feel rushed. It does feel forced. And um, it is funny, but maybe it shouldn't be surprising that someone who can shoot these action and nature sequences so well isn't as equipped when it's two people just having a conversation, uh, which I think would be much easier to shoot. But Naomi Watts is is very good here. Um, like I said, all of these blizzard sequences and, and the coldness just feels so real. And I spent a good chunk of this movie watching it, and I, I couldn't believe they would let uh, a camera crew and Naomi Watts out in this in these weather conditions. They seem so severe. It seems so real. Uh, so that's a real uh, that's a real tribute to the directors. Um, um, they did a, a fantastic job with those scenes, and that's that's the majority of the movie. So you know, based on that, I, I have to you know recommend this and give this a beat. The other movie I saw was Master, not The Master, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. This is Master. This is on uh, Amazon Prime Video right now, so I know it's not playing many places and uh, not playing many theaters, excuse me, but it is available uh, streaming. And I would say if you love the Jordan Peele horror movies that mix in race, uh, then you will like The Master. This is almost like a minor league version of, of, of those movies. Um, but there's some interesting stuff here. If you're a fan of film and you want to see like some raw direction where you kind of see some flashes of genius, but then some other flashes of kind of a muddied mess of a movie, um, then check this out. Uh, the director is Mariama Diallo. And I'm actually really interested to in see what she does next. The first half of this movie is pretty good. Diallo does a really good job um, setting a mood. And the actress Zoe Renee, who plays uh, the college freshman who moves into this new college called Ancaster. It's um, it's a school that's supposed to take place in New England. Um, it's obviously a fictional school. I don't know if it's supposed to be Ivy League necessarily, but maybe like that next tier below. Uh, but the actress Zoe Renee, excuse me, is very good. Um, I thought she did a really nice job considering how limited her career has been. And then Regina Hall, who was one of the hosts of the Oscars last week. She's very good, too. It's a very different role than I might have expected from her. You know, when you watch the Oscars, she was playing kind of this, you know, wacky single lady uh, character as the host. Um, but here she's very buttoned up. She's playing a housemaster, which is, um, I don't know, back when I went to college, we called it a, you know, I didn't go to a very nice school, so we called it a residence director. Uh, the person kind of in charge of that, of that, for me, it was in charge of our dorm, but uh, this seems to have a bit more elegance and class to it. Uh, you know, in, in this world, being the housemaster is, I guess, a, a quite a, an accomplishment to be. Um, and it's re Regina Hall, you really believe she's someone's like a tenured professor. She's someone that has had a lot of success in her career in the education field. And, um, I, I was, I haven't seen a lot of Regina Hall movies. Um, and I walked away pretty impressed with her performance. Like I said, especially just having seen the Oscars where she's going so much against type in this movie. Uh, than she is, than she was portraying there. The problem with this movie though, is focus. And, and you see that with young directors and, and writers, you know, Diallo also wrote this and some of the race and horror stuff in the beginning is really interesting, but she stacks so many racial points, so many interesting racial points, but still racial points that you can't resolve them all. But by the end, some things are intentionally left unresolved, which I don't mind, but then other things that probably should be resolved also aren't as well. I'm going to give this movie a C, but like I said, if you want to see a really raw movie by a director that might have a bright future, I, I would check out Master. Okay, I will be back on Tuesday with my review of the film Dog. I will talk to you folks then.